in our, our world today, we do have issues of critically thinking. Um, critically thinking is simply the self-discipline of carefully examining things you hear, things that you read, and problems that you face, and so on. The ability to just really analyze the data that is before you. <clears throat> During the pandemic, I um, wanted to take my family out to eat at a local buffet, and, and so we, we go out after church on Sunday. I'm excited, you know, because, you know, there's nothing like saying going to church and eating at an all-you-can-eat buffet. So we head there, and, and I said, yeah, I like uh, five all-you-can-eat meals. And he said, sorry, sir, we no longer have an all-you-can-eat buffet because of the pandemic. I said, oh, okay. He says, but if you come back on Mondays, we still have it. <laughs> Wait, what? And you know, you, you got to just like think about it. It's just wait a minute. Wait, when did the virus decide to take Mondays off? You know, I just, I didn't know this. So, so you have to really analyze what you think. And I was just thinking of this just this morning. Toothpaste. How many of you guys did not brush it? Don't answer. Toothpaste. This is the good stuff. This is Crest. This is the good stuff. But one day I was reading this and I started to think it says this. Warning. Warning. If more than used for brushing is accidentally swallowed, get medical help or contact poison control right away. I started, well, what? Why, why is that on toothpaste? You know, because they tell you to brush, but anyone want some poison control stuff? I know. She always tells me don't throw things in church. Just reading that, you think, well, why, why would they say that? Because, you know, in toothpaste, they have a thing called fluoride. And if you look up fluoride, what fluoride is, it is actually a very, uh, very contaminating chemical that will burn your skin and damage your eyes. But hey, it even whitens your teeth, so that's good. And so I, start, so I started to think about this. I said, you know, why, why would you do that? And then I went to the kids' toothpaste, and I said, this one is safe for kids. What's the difference? The difference is one has fluoride, one doesn't. I, I'm just curious about things, just like with eye drops, you know, I, I was watching a show one time, uh, one of those like 48 hours or forensic files type thing, and, and someone died because they drank eye drops, that if you drink eye drops, it's very poisonous to you and it will kill you, and then I thought, why are we putting this in our eyes, you know, I just, you know, down in Florida, just oh, 10 years ago or so, there was a, uh, CNN did an article that says a Florida man hacked the water system trying to poison people in Florida. And I'm thinking, hack the water system? What did he do? What did he put in there? Cyanide or what's going on? No, he increased the sodium hydroxychloride, whatever it is. And I'm thinking, why is that even in the water in the first place? You know, because he raised the level of it. So, so when we stop and think about things, we have to be critical or have critical thought about things because Sometimes people just say things and it, we don't really process it. And sometimes when we read scripture, we don't really process it. Just like when we read about Jesus came from the Virgin Mary, we don't really stop and think about how that actually happened. What, what a miracle that was. That's impossible. Wow, God really loves us that he did this. And, and look at how all of Jesus filled, you know, 300 or so, you know, prophecies amazing but we just fly over it because we're just you know reading our bible but critical thinking is very important to develop a deeper understanding of everything around us paul even says this in first corinthians he says i gave you milk not solid food for you were not yet ready for it indeed you are still not ready 
He's just saying, listen, you're just not mature enough to handle the deeper things that I want to teach you. He says this. Later on in the same book, he said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I responded like a child. I became a man. When I became a man, I put away the things of childhood behind me. The benefits of growing up, the benefits of maturing in our thoughts and, and starting to think clearly about what we hear, what we see, what we think, it turns our different perspective into a more mature perspective. You know, back in the day, we would simply call that wisdom, where you're just getting wiser. You know, think about it as a kid. You know, when you, were, when you were younger as a kid, man, Christmas was a thrill. And the older you got, Christmas became a bill. You know, it's just like, it's just, just, just a different change of perspective. And our edu- educational system doesn't promote critical thinking. No matter how much you think the education system is designed to help you think, it really isn't. Think about this for a second. The only way you can succeed in the educational system is repeating what they tell you is truth. Repeating what they tell you in the textbooks. That's the only way you can succeed. If you, if you want a good grade, you got to be able to repeat all of their theories, all of their things that they say are facts and true. If you want to be smart, you must learn what they say and learn what they teach. If you disagree, if you disagree, you'll get a failing grade. You'll get a failing grade if you don't write down what they tell you to write. Take, for example, in science, the theory of evolution. They teach that over billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of years that a rock can turn into a frog and a frog can turn into a person. So next time you see your neighbor, you say, what's up, rock? How you doing? Because that's what they teach, that the theory of evolution, that over this time, that inorganic material, things that are not alive, can all of a sudden transform into something that's living. There's not been one scientific uh, uh, exam or, or test that has ever proven that you can take something that does not have life and inject life into it. It's just a theory. And so, you know, imagine you're in school and they're teaching you the theory of evolution and, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you just start getting curious. Wait a minute. I'm from a monkey? How is that possible? Teacher? Yes, Johnny? Um, if we have... Millions of monkeys still here on earth today. And you say that they evolved into humans. Why do we still have monkeys? Quiet, Johnny. Quiet. Don't ask those questions. They shut it down. So critical thinking is very important. But if you have a different belief in our educational system, you will not get good grades. Here's what happens if you have a different belief. They'll think you're crazy. They'll think you're uneducated. And that you're holding everyone back because of your false beliefs. You won't be a useful citizen. You won't be able to contribute to the world and advance it. They'll even tell you that, fine, if your parents want to believe that stuff about creation, fine. But we need you. So don't worry about your parents. We need you to learn what we believe. They'll tell us that we don't need to teach our children. They'll do it. They got it. There's no room for different ideas. Denial of evolution is unique to the United States. I mean, we are the world's most advanced technological. So, I mean, you could say Japan, but generally the United States is where most of the innovation still happens. When you have 
a portion of the population doesn't believe in that. It holds everybody back, really. Once in a while, I get people that really, that, or that claim they don't believe in evolution. And my response generally is, well, why not? Really, why not? Your world just becomes fantastically complicated when you don't believe in evolution. I mean, and I say to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your, in your uh, world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it, because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can, uh, we need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. These are, it's just really hard thing. It's, it's really a hard thing. You know, in another couple centuries, though, that worldview, I'm sure, will be, it just won't exist. I mean, it's, it's there's no evidence for it, so. We know this gentleman as Bill Nye, the science guy, who was a mechanical engineer. That's the only degree he got, but his official title is a science communicator. A science communicator. And if you put a white coat on you and get your own TV show and do some little things to demonstrate what we believe is true, that's called science. And now you are a science communicator. I like the, the fact that he's on the Big Think thing, you know, the Big Think website. But not critically thinking. Because he doesn't even want to talk about the other ideas that we have. He doesn't want to talk about the fact that we believe that God created the world and that we are not from some rock that developed into a frog, that developed into a monkey, that developed into a, a person. We have been created in the image of our God. And if you don't agree with it, fine, just go away. Just leave us alone. But we need your kids. This is why it's important to critically think. It's why it's important to think about things as we go. And so I'm going to ask if we would just put on our thinking caps this morning as we read Genesis 3.1. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. I'm going to tell you up front what I believe. I'm going to tell you up front what I believe. And after this, we'll walk through how I got to this place, what I believe what Eve actually saw in the garden. So what did Eve see? I believe this. I believe that Eve did not see an animal. She did not see a snake. I believe what she saw was glorious and brilliant. I believe what she saw was beautiful and divine. I believe that this creature spoke with wisdom and elegance. I believe that this was the most beautiful thing, glorious thing she ever seen in her life, which explains why she never turned and ran. This is what I believe. And I'll tell you why I believe this. But I must say up front, you don't get that from the text. You don't get that from this part of the story. I, this, this verse, this this first sentence into the introduction of the story of the fall, as we would know it, is to grab your attention, to, to make you hesitate and say, something is going on here. Something's wrong. I remember when 
I was back in high school and my buddies wanted to go watch Jurassic Park. And, you know, and we're all men going to the movies, you know. And we're men because we sat every other seat, you know, because, you know, you just can't sit next to a guy in the movie theater. And so we're there and, and it's during Jurassic Park. And, and so Jurassic Park is there and, and it, you know, the, the tense, the tense is, the, the, the tension in the movie's building and you can just feel something's going to happen. Something's wrong. And, and I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm just enjoying my popcorn. And all of a sudden I noticed right beside me was this guy, my friend. And he's like sitting right next to me. And he's like leaning up to me. I go, what are you doing, man? Move over. You know, move over. And he's like, no, no. And he looks at me, something's wrong. I said, we're in a movie. Of course something's wrong. You just can feel this. And this is what this text is designed to do. It's, it's to kind of make you say something's not right. Because why? We just found out that everything was beautiful and everything was great. And God made this perfect garden. And now this serpent comes in who's crafty. What do we know about the serpent in the garden? Three things real quick. Number one, that it was called the serpent. Not a serpent or not a creature, but the serpent. It's a particular, a certain individual. Second is that it was called crafty. Crafty has the ideal of having intellect, being tricky, deceitful. And third, it could talk. Now this is a, something that you would realize as you're reading this. There's only two types of people that can talk. Two types of things that can talk. God and people. And then all of a sudden it can talk. And you know this from your own world experience. You've never read across anything that could talk. For the record, there was another animal that could talk in the Bible. And that was with Balaam. Balaam was on his way and he was disobeying the Lord. He was going to do things for his own selfish reason. And then here's what the Bible says about this. Numbers 22. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. So clearly in this text, God did this. God opened the mouth of the donkey and made it speak. Not the donkey, but God did it. This was a miracle. But here in Genesis, this serpent shows up and it has the ability to speak all on its own. Does not tell us that the Lord opened the mouth of this snake. If you're reading this for the first time, questions will soon flood your mind. Where did this serpent come from? Because God created everything and everything was good. Where did it, where, what kind of animal could talk? Where would this snake get this intelligence from? How come this, this serpent knew things that Eve didn't even know? Why was it tricky? Why was it trying to deceive Eve? And why did she not run? And, and what's amazing is just as quickly as this serpent enters, he exits. He's gone. No more in Genesis do we see this word serpent. The only time, there's one other time I should say, that we see um, the serpent, is that's in Genesis 49. It says, Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles back. Dan will be like a snake. It's making a comparison of an actual snake. And so we see that. That's, that's what we would normally think of when we think of a snake. But chapter 3, the serpent comes in and the serpent goes out and he's never seen again. In the Old Testament, snakes are not always looked upon as evil. Now, I know that we look at snakes as evil. We don't like things that slither and scare us and pop out of the grass when we're walking. But in the Old Testament, snakes were not always looked at as evil. Remember the story where God called Moses and he says, Moses, what's in your hand? A staff, throw it down. And what happened? It turned into what? A snake. 
And God used that as a sign for the authority that God gave Moses. It was a snake. God also used snakes for judgment and healing. Look at Numbers 21. It says this. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. Okay, this is a pretty bad scene. They're afraid of the snakes. So Moses prayed to the people. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by the snake would look at the bronze snake and they lived. So God used an image of a snake in order to bring healing to people who got bit. What's even crazier is that in the New Testament, Jesus even identifies with this snake that was lifted up. John 3 tells us, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So clearly, not all snakes are bad. But we're not told what this serpent is in Genesis 3. Like I said last week, this verse is designed to get your attention to raise suspicion the tension in the movie that you realize something's off something's wrong and this is why we must pause and critically think about what this verse is trying to tell us because we can see that this is not good we know that this isn't good so why in the world would eve talk to this thing why was she not afraid how come she didn't get out of there and why would she believe this thing over what God himself said to them. We're not given any clues why this serpent wanted to trick Eve. We're not given any information in this text where he even went after the garden. But we do know this, that after one episode of the serpent, what's the very next thing that happens? Cain kills Abel. Chapter 4. So here comes this serpent, he comes into the story and he vanishes real quick. Eve makes this decision, they have to leave the garden, they give birth to some children. And within the second generation of mankind, murder is committed. And what's even, even boggles my mind is that just simply two chapters later, here's what Genesis tells us. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of their thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Two chapters later, after the serpent came into the garden, we went from murder to the place where God was going to send a flood. It got that bad. So we're not told who this serpent is. But in just four chapters of the Bible, the world was dedicated to evil. Why? Once again, I'm going to tell you what I believe Eve saw. I believe that what Eve saw was not an animal, but a, not a snake. I believe that what she saw was glorious and brilliant. I believe that she saw what she saw was beautiful and divine. I believe that this creature spoke with wisdom and elegance. And I believe that it was the most glorious thing she ever saw, which explains why she did not turn and run. 
Now, let's take a step back and let's look through the Bible and see why I come in, to this place and why I believe this sincerely. Like I said, you, could, you can believe whatever you want. I'm not here to try to challenge you, to make you believe, or tell you to believe what I believe. I'm just letting you know how I got here through Scripture. So let's look outside of Genesis and let's see what the Bible says about this serpent. We know from the New Testament, the very last book in the Bible, it says this, that the great dragon was hurled down and the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. We know that this serpent is the devil. And look at the perspective that the New Testament had of this serpent. I'm going to read um, from my book called what, uh, what If Genesis 1 Was Correct, page 72, and I want to read to you what the devil is. And this is all from a New Testament perspective. So, so the New Testament perspective is built upon what? The Old Testament. So these authors understood the devil, and this is what they believed about the devil. The devil is a tempter, ruler of demons, evil one, enemy, ruler of this world. Paul referred to him as the God of this world, the prince of the powers of the air, the ruler of the darkness of this age. The devil is also referred to as an adversary. Revelation refers to him as one who deceives, an accuser, a serpent, and a dragon. All of these titles are from the New Testament. So why in the world did they think of this enemy, this thing called the serpent, so evil and so wicked? It was because they understood the Old Testament. So if we look at the Old Testament and we start to gather some information, you're going to find out that the devil is not mentioned that much in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, if you look up the name Satan, which we would refer to as his name, it's only found in three episodes in the book of Job, in 1 Chronicles, and in a vision in Zechariah. But in the episode of Chronicles, it says that Satan enticed David to take a census. But in 1 Samuel, it says God incited David. So it's like, which one is it? It's, it's, and it doesn't conflict because God is using this adversary, this accuser, to do his will. He's allowing this. Just so you see this in the story of Job where Satan is going back to and fro on earth. And God says, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just, just checking out on earth. Well, we know from 1 Peter what he's doing. He's going around seeing who can, he can destroy. And he says, have you seen my servant Job? And he goes in and he attacks Job. So we see what God is, is, is doing here and, and how he's using this adversary. Each of these passages describe him. Matter of fact, David, King David used this term in one of his prayers. Psalm 109, it says this. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hate it for my love and hate it for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him and let Satan stand at his right hand. Let Satan stand at his right hand. A different translation says appoint a wicked person over him and may an accuser stand at his right hand. David is saying, I want an accuser, I want an adversary, I want a Satan to stand at my enemy's hand and accuse them of the wrongdoing. And that's why Satan is known as an accuser. So the New Testament has a very 
true understanding of who Satan is. He's a very wicked and evil person. How did they develop this? There's two passages that I'm going to share with you this morning that deal with Satan. And these are what's known as a dual message because God is giving prophecies to certain kings, to the king of Babylon, to the king of Tyre. But it's a dual message because he is basically letting us know who Satan is along with this. Because if you read the descriptions of what is happening in these two passages, you're going to realize that this cannot apply to men, that God is speaking to something else here, more than just the kings. First, in Isaiah 14, it says this, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How thou art cut down to the ground, which didith weaken the nations. Another translation says, How you have fallen from heaven, you star of the morning, son of dawn. Son of dawn. Lucifer was known as the star of the morning, which is the light bearer. The object it is a shining one. Matter of fact, they believed it was Venus because even at dusk, you could see Venus is in the, the, the evening sky as the sun is setting. But as the sun would rise at dawn, Venus was still visible. It was the brightest object in the sky except for the two lights that God created. It was the brightest object and they would consider Venus as this light bearer, this one who breaks forth. Look how bright it is. And this is where we get the ideal of Lucifer from. It simply means star of the morning, son of the dawn, because it was visible and they represented Venus by it. You could see it. But the second passage is found in Ezekiel 28. It says this. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. And the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. So, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. I believe from these two passages, the New Testament was able, the authors of the New Testament were able to understand who this serpent really was. And it's from these two passages that I understand, that I believe that Eve was not talking to an animal, but was talking to someone different than just an animal, was talking to the devil himself. But wait, 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 Pastor. Genesis 3 says it was a serpent, though. It's a snake. It has to be. I am not gifted into the language of English. Matter of fact, when I started studying Hebrew, I understood English more than when all my English classes. But if I wanted to make a simile, if I wanted to do a comparison, I would say this. I would say, let's just say I'm watching, you know, someone play in sports and one of my daughters, you know, she's known as the beast, right? When she's out there, she's playing gaga ball. She's known as the beast. And, and so if I said to her, I said, man, you play like a beast. Well, that's a simile. I mean, we would understand that, that I'm saying that she plays aggressive. She's just tenacious. She's just going after it. She plays like a beast. But if I wanted to make a metaphor, I would say, you're a beast. You know, I don't believe my daughter's an actual beast. I just believe that she plays like a beast. I'm making a metaphor. And then if I wanted to make another comparison, I could just watch her and say, beast, right? That's called a hypocatastasis. 
Please don't look it up, because I had to look it up. Hypocatastrophe, it's a different type of metaphor, a simile, where you just don't say the noun. You just say beast. Now, you could do it in a negative tone, too. If I wanted to say, man, you, you live like a pig. Or I could say, man, you're a pig. Or I could just walk into your room and go, pig. Right? It's, the noun is not there. There's not two nouns, but one is implied. And this is what's happening. This is what I believe is happening in Genesis. Because we get examples of this all the time. And that's why Genesis introduces them as the serpent. Look at what Paul did in Acts 20. This is Paul speaking. It says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. All of us know that Paul did not believe that literally wolves would come in and eat the church. They would not come in and eat the church. So Paul is, is making this statement with an implication of talking about the wicked people that are trying to destroy the church. And he compares them to savage wolves. And in Genesis 3, it is, introduces the serpent and immediately our attention is on full alert. Snakes don't have the ability to have understanding. Snakes do not have the capacity of talking. Snakes do not have insight that we don't. And most importantly, Eve is not afraid of this serpent. Once again, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that Eve saw the most beautiful thing she ever saw. Why? Ezekiel says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This fallen angel that we know of as the devil was one of the most beautiful things ever created. And it says that he was perfect in beauty. Perfect. I believe that Eve saw a glorious angel where God said in Ezekiel, every precious stone adorned you. Your settings were mountains, were made of gold, and, and you were an anointed guardian cherubim. He was this anointed angel that had gold and beauty and stones and all the things that would make you shine so bright. I said that I believe that Eve saw an angelic being in the garden. Why? Because it says you were in Eden, the garden of God. God places the serpent. God places the devil in the garden. You were in the garden of Eden. Now notice how Paul in the New Testament, talks about Eve and the serpent. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this, But I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. So the, Paul knows that it's the serpent who's doing this. Paul knows it's the devil who's doing this. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion of Christ. Paul knew who it was. Paul knew it was the devil himself. And later in this same chapter, this is what he says. He says that, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Paul knows that when he reveals himself, he doesn't reveal himself in his true character. He doesn't show the wickedness inside of his heart. We'll deal with that in, in, in coming sermons. But Paul knows that he doesn't show him what's really happening in his heart. Just like when Satan deceived all the angels to follow him, they didn't know what he was intending to do. He wanted to be God. He never tells you what he really wants. He never shows you what's in his heart. How many times do we know people that are beautiful on the outside, but inside they are filled with bitterness and anger and filth, and it just comes out 
Even though they may look pretty on the outside, inside they're corrupted. Satan did not come to Eve as this serpent, a snake, that would automatically put us on high alert. But he came as an angel of light. He masquerades as an angel of light. So look at this again. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Then you have to ask yourself, why would Eve believe the words that this creature said? I believe because this angel of light was the most beautiful thing she ever saw. I want you to think about what I just said. I truly believe that this angel of light was the most beautiful thing she ever saw. Wait a minute. Adam and Eve, they had a very special relationship with God. Because you remember God would walk in the cool of the day and have talks with them? I want to tell you this, that Adam and Eve never saw God. Adam and Eve never saw God. Genesis 3 tells us this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Look at closely at what the text says. The man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God. The Bible tells us that they heard the sound of the Lord. This word is translated simply as sound or voice, and that's it. It also says that God was walking in the garden. Why does this say walking? The Hebrew word literally means movement, to travel. The Bible is clearly telling us that God's voice, God's sound was moving through the garden. And what did Adam say? I heard you. And I was afraid. I heard. If you look in chapter 1, it never says that God revealed himself. If you look in chapter 2, it never says that God appeared to them. It just says God said, God said, God said. The Lord said. But it never says that he appeared to them. They never had a relationship where it was based upon a physical presence of God. It was just his voice. And that's why it says the man and his wife heard the voice, the sound of God as he was moving through the garden in the cool of the day. And why were they afraid? Because they heard in the garden. Even the prophet Moses, who had this great relationship with God, look at what the Bible says about Moses, Exodus 33. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see my face and live. God himself is telling us that you cannot see me. Because if you see me, the very presence, the very revelation of who I am will destroy you. It will kill you. It's too much. 
And God said, you cannot see my face for no one may see my face and live. God said that. Later on, Aaron and Miriam were questioning Abraham or uh, Moses' authority. And this is what God said again in Numbers. With him, I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God himself says he sees a form. God never revealed his face to him. The Bible is very clear. No one has ever seen God. John 1 says this. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who was himself God and in the closest relationship with the Father has made him know. No one has ever seen God. The Bible tells us that no one has seen his face. This is why Jesus, check this out, this is why Jesus tells us this. This is so cool. It makes it a little more interesting when you, when you understand that no one has ever seen God. Because we always think, man, if I could be in Moses' time, I would have great faith. If I, if I could be in the time of Abraham, man, I would have great faith. If I could be on Noah on the boat, it would just be awesome to see the flood. I know, I, we think we want to go back, but what did Jesus say in Matthew 13? For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you have seen, but did not see it. To hear what you hear and did not hear it. Why? Because Jesus says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. For the first time, God was revealing himself through Jesus Christ. For the first time, people were able to look at God and say, that's God. That's Jesus. But Adam and Eve, all they knew was his voice. All they knew was his voice. And now this angel of light comes into the garden. Adam and Eve never saw God. And now this glorious being, God said he was perfect in beauty. He was splendid. He was shiny. He was angelic. And he comes into the garden and he says, did God really say? Because this is the most beautiful thing she ever saw. Because she only knew God's voice. And now before her is something so beautiful. She believed it. And that's why Paul says he goes around as an angel of light. That's why John tells us that he, his leads, he leads the whole world astray. Why? Because people are following this light that is not good. That's not God. So my challenge today is this. Do you know the voice of God? Do you know when he speaks to you? This is why we need to know the word of God, the scriptures. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. You need to know God's word. This is his word. This is what he's spoken this is the same authority and power as when God told Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree. It's the same voice, the same power, same authority. It's the same God. It's breathe. God breathe. And I want to challenge you, if you're not in your word, if you're not into scripture, you will never know his voice. Now, God may speak to you. God may reveal himself to you. God may do things that, that you know, go outside of the norms. But just as, as a pattern in scripture, if you want to know God, you got to know his voice. you got to know his voice. And the only way you're going to know his voice is if you are in the word of God. This is what he said. You need to know his voice. Jesus tells us that my sheep listen to my voice and I know them 
and they follow me. How can you follow Jesus if you don't know his voice? We can get fooled by things that are pretty. We can get fooled by things that look good. We can get fooled by someone who's going around as an angel of light trying to deceive you. Because Paul even says in that context that even those who are working for him will deceive you as servants of righteousness. But those who know Jesus know his voice and we can follow him. I'm telling you, it is so exciting to live in the time that we are. I know things aren't perfect. I know things are hard for all of us. Every day I get up and I say, God, I need to know you. I got to hear you. Because this world is dark, but I need you, God. And I need your voice. Because there are a lot of things going on in my head. A lot of voices that are in there. A lot of things that are battling my mind, my thoughts. Things that I see, things that I hear, things that I watch. Things that I listen to, all those things are going on, but I want to get all that settled because I want to follow Jesus. That's why we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will speak not of His own, but He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is to come, what is yet to come. And He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what he will make known to you. Think about how awesome Jesus is knowing that he is going to go back to the Father. But he says, don't worry, I'm going to send my spirit. And when he comes, he's going to be just like if I'm talking to you. He's going to tell you what I'm telling you. A lot of us want to be like the disciples, want to stand there with the 12 and say, I'm part of the club. But because of the Holy Spirit, we are. Because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with us. And he guides us, directs us. He will guide us into all truth. But we must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because if you are not aware of the devil and how he reveals himself as an angel of light, then you may be fooled and deceived. Once again, Paul warned, but I am afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I do not want to be deceived. I do not want anyone in this church, in this, this world, in the body of Christ to be deceived, but there are many that will be. That's why we got to know his voice. Three things. If you struggle hearing God's voice, then I'm going to just talk about three things real quick. First, you're not reading your Bible. It's plain and simple. You're just not reading your Bible. You're not getting into his word. If you don't know his voice, it's because you're not getting into his word. And I'm not just talking about reading text. I'm talking about engaging with the scripture, looking at it, meditating and thinking upon it. I'm telling you, there's nothing more important to me than the word of God. I've known hardships. I've known desperate situations. I've known times where I just can't even look up because everything is collapsing around me, but I know that my God has spoken and every word that he says in those scriptures, every word that he says they are yes in Christ. You got to get into his word. If you're having a hard time hearing God's voice, then it may be issues of sin in your life. You are doing things that God has asked you not to do. Plain and simple. You are disobeying what he's asking you to do. And if you do that, you will never hear clearly his voice. 
you must let sin go. It will separate you from his presence. And it will not only separate you from his presence, but it will separate you from people. That's why the devil loves sin. Just like he separated God's voice in Adam and Eve, he wants to separate us. And he wants to separate us from the body of Christ. If you're struggling with hearing God's voice, you're not reading your Bible. If you're struggling hearing God's voice, it's because there's sin in your life. And if you're struggling hearing God's voice, it's because you have not been sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You are not allowing the Holy Spirit to speak clearly in your life. You're filling it up with so many things. You fill it up with so many things. Conversations, entertainment, things that just keep our mind busy. We, we want to do things all the way to the very end before we go to sleep because we know that once we lay down we go to sleep and we have nothing else stimulating us we know that the Holy Spirit's going to be speaking so we fill our minds up with everything we can to hide you must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit you must have times in your prayer where you just sit there and say speak to me Lord speak to me three things you're not reading your Bible there's sin in your life or you're just not taking the time to hear those areas need to be better in our life, need to be better in my life. I'm not saying that I can't be deceived. I know that I could. If Adam and Eve could be deceived, what makes me think that I'm no better? Except the difference is I know that it's an angel of light that is coming to make me turn on what God said. So let's hear his voice. Let's find his voice. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, a very important time in our life right now, God. We are living in a very important time in our life where our world is filled with all types of notifications and sounds and things that teach us and music and movies and everything we can think of, God. We hear noise everywhere. But we want to be people, Lord, who hear you. Not the angel that masquerades as light. But we want to be people who hear you. I pray for those, Lord, who are struggling with their reading and the word. I pray that you would help them. Pray that they would get into your word and they would just continue to seek your word. I pray, Father, Lord, that those who are dealing with sin, God, that they would repent and they would get right with you and they would get those things out of their life. And I pray, Father, that we all would be more sensitive to your spirit. Jesus, you said that you would guide us in all truth. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit. Lord, we just want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would be people, Lord, who take the time to listen. God, your voice is good enough. Your voice is all we need. We love you so much. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.